Maverick News presents The Rick Walker Show Defrag Your Mind Good evening, Maverick family and new viewers. Great to have everyone back. We were off last night for a short break, not really a break, doing a lot of other work behind the scenes. That's why we weren't uh, weren't online last night, but we're here now. Tonight's program will also be shorter than usual because I am still working on a lot of things behind the scenes, getting caught up on a lot of other work that is long overdue. So I can't stay here tonight with you for the full duration. That's what we're starting an hour later. And I'll be wrapping up a little bit earlier tonight as well. But we still have some great things to talk about. Interesting things. Justin Trudeau's days appear to be numbered. Yes, I do know some liberals. And when I speak to them, they seem to be resigned to the fact that Trudeau has become something of a liability to the Liberal Party. And that's why there is speculation. People are predicting now that Trudeau will likely resign sometime early in the new year. We'll dig into that. We'll, we'll, show, you what, we'll show you what that looks like. What else do we have for you? Oh, there is a House Speaker who has been elected now. Um, Donald Trump has been fined $10,000. We'll tell you why. Oh, Sophie Gregoire. Oh, uh, the, um, the Trudeau Gregoire soap opera thickens. So we'll tell you about that tonight too. Joe Biden met with the Prime Minister of Australia today. We'll probably be going to uh, a news conference with the two of them at some point. And we'll tell you why Canada is not really such a bad place. As terrible and awful as everything seems to be sometimes... I'm just going to highlight a few positive things for you tonight. I think it's important. So don't go away. We have all that and probably more right around the corner. Greetings, brave mavericks. Our quest for truth continues. We go beyond fake news. Together we expose propaganda. Together we pull others out of rabbit holes. We are maverick thinkers. We are all unique individuals, individuals, defenders of individual rights and freedoms. Credible, trusted, grounded in reality. Maverick News. Maverick News. Defending free speech. Free speech. Donate at freedomreporters.com. Do it now. 
tomorrow. Maybe too late. Too late. Too late. Too late. Maverick News. The, the world, world is watching. Justin Trudeau's still hanging around, but maybe not for much longer. There's this story reported in The Hill. Trudeau's in trouble. Can he dig himself out before the next election? It says the liberals are dropping in public opinion, but want to be the second, fourth-term government since Sir Wilfrid Laurier. And that's a very big bar to jump, says Chad Rogers, blah, blah, blah. Bottom line is, liberal insiders now see Trudeau as something of a liability. So the word is, and I have spoken to some prominent liberals myself over the past week, and they tell me that Trudeau is, is becoming, has become something of a liability. So if his numbers don't improve... He is expected to step aside sometime early next year, in the new year, making way for a leadership convention. So while people, uh, you know, are pretty disheartened, I think, at times, and a lot of people have bought into the idea that there is no political solution to our problems. I keep hearing that over and over again. The reality is, I and I've said this many, 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 many times, especially in the last few months, Trudeau's days are numbered. Politicians come, politicians go. I believe that Justin Trudeau is the worst prime minister in Canadian history. He will leave office disgraced in many ways because he has divided the country. He has damaged severely the economy. He has undermined pride in our nation. He has just done I think in many respects, uh, in many ways, irreparable harm to the fabric of Canada, to our very democracy. The way he handled the pandemic by just joining in lockstep with, uh, with other WEF 
nations locking people down, masking people up, proceeding with vaccine mandates, beating, having police beat protesters in the streets of Ottawa. And then, of course, there's this Nazi in Parliament, which he should be taking full responsibility for, but has failed to. It's all of these things that have led to an erosion in in public support to the point where today all polls show that if there was an election held right now, Pierre Polyev and the Conservative Party of Canada would probably win a majority government. And Polyev is seen as the best choice for prime minister by a vast majority of Canadians now. And that's why you're seeing stories like this, which have come out this month. Trudeau should step down before next election. That according to a poll. It says even among liberal voters, almost half of respondents said Trudeau should turn the party leadership over to a fresh face. And that is in the National Post. That was back on October 18th. Now the Hill also reporting on this story and us. He's in trouble. He's definitely in trouble. And everywhere he goes, he's heckled. Eighty-two percent want Trudeau to step down in this last poll, as compared to just twelve percent who thought he should stay on, and five percent were undecided. But even among liberal voters, forty-one percent thought the prime minister should step down in that poll, while forty-four percent believed he should stay on, and sixteen percent were undecided. Meanwhile, Trudeau's overall approval rating has sunk to 31%, a level that we've not seen in decades. Um, inflation, homelessness, drug addiction, a move to central bank digital currencies, Lockdowns, vaccine mandates, a heavy-handed approach to so much in the country, an authoritarian, to be sure. He's in deep trouble now. The thing about him, him though, is that is this is also my personal assessment. It's my opinion. He's still young. Even if he steps aside early in the new year, my guess is he will be back. Maybe not right away. It might be a year or two. He'll be back in some capacity. Probably again trying to take the uh, the leadership of the party and uh, and become prime minister again. His father did it. His father resigned. He took that walk in the snow, resigned, came back. He took a break, then came back. And I remember when he, the first time he resigned, it shocked people. There was something about 
Pierre Trudeau, that Canadian people just, I don't know what it was. I was a kid, you see, and so when Pierre Trudeau was prime minister during his his time in office for, you know, the, the, the bulk of the years that I could remember as a child, he was the prime minister. And I remember when he did resign, it was shocking to me as a, as a, a kid. It felt unstable. It felt destabilizing because he was the only prime minister really that I had known, but there was something about him. It was Kennedy-esque. He is Canadian political or was Canadian political royalty. And now his son, Justin, propelled to power because of his name, not really because of his, his leadership abilities or his intellect. He, I think he has irreparably damaged the Trudeau legacy, honestly. But I think like his father, he will seek a path back when he does step aside. And, you know, it's, uh, it's interesting to see all of this happening. Everywhere he goes, he is heckled now. And um, a lot of this is staged. No question about it. His political opponents look to see where he's going and they make sure they're there to, uh, to greet him very, very warmly, let's say. Here's, uh, oh, just like this. So we've been seeing a lot of that, and I, I you know, I, I have to say, my my take on this is that is not that's not really organic. That's not just happening on its own. That's planned. It's choreographed. That's people following Trudeau around as part of a political operation, if you will. My I my assessment too is that that is really. Freedom fighters, the freedom movement involved in that. Not so much conservative protesters. And that's not to say that they're affiliated with any particular political party. But I think you, if you were to survey them, because I know some of the people involved there, you know, they're, they're more aligned with the PPC. Their actions, though, I think are benefiting mostly the conservatives because all of the media coverage, 
both mainstream and independent, focused on these demonstrations and confrontations. Um, all of that damages Trudeau, but it's in a nonpartisan way. People view that, I think, at home as, as though it is just organic in some way. And as a result, you know, the PPC is not getting credit for it, if you will, or maybe the, the blame, depending on your, your particular point of view um, on, on the prime minister and our political system. But the, the support is going to Pierre Polyev as a result of those protests. That's, that's my assessment. Um, and I don't think I'm wrong in this particular case. Uh, and here's a, here's another example of a swarming of Trudeau, you know, uh, here we go. Now this one was back in 2021 during the election when he was running his campaign, you may recall. And, you know, he was using vaccines, the pandemic, as wedge issues. It was, I think, some of the dirtiest politics I've ever seen because they were using psychographic polling to figure out which buttons to push. What emotional buttons to push to get people to vote a particular way and react a particular way. And look at the PPC signs here. See all the PPC signs? That's where the aggressive, aggressive, or shall I say passionate, uh, protesting was coming from back in 2021. And I think it's really largely the same people out there engaging in this kind of uh, protesting. Even now, here's another angle on that other protest that we just ran. But people are heated, man. Like they. They get it. They get jacked right up. And just because it's, I'm not, just because it is choreographed, it doesn't mean that they don't mean it. Not too happy with the PM. And here's another one. This was, uh, where was this? This was, I think it was north of Kitchener, if I remember right. This was back in July. This one made a lot of, got a lot of attention as well. And this is why he's, you know, losing his PR Oh, my God. 
These are like, these are, wow, just, uh, yeah, again, this, this from July 21st, let's bring this up, and Chris Dacey, videographer, you know, he's been very active in shooting this kind of material. I think they better, I think they should be way more careful with him. They need to get a better security. They shouldn't be letting him go into the crowds like that. Personally, I don't think it's wise. I think it's very dangerous. I don't wish harm upon him at all. I mean, I don't like the job he's doing. But I don't wish harm on him. I think he's in jeopardy. Tell you this, if anything were to happen to him, if he were to be injured or anything like that, that would probably push him up in the pool. I got, I got to say, I, you know, this stuff, it makes me squirm personally. You know, it makes me uncomfortable. I get why it's being done. I just, it's, it is, it's distasteful. I just, ugh. but that's the way politics is today. And, you know, here's a, speaking of Pierre Trudeau, here's this clip. From yesteryear, for those of you who are American viewers who maybe don't know what we're talking about, maybe this will help you. And here's Knowlton Nash, an old school journalist from the CBC, anchoring the news. This is a guy that uh, I learned a thing or two from back in the day when journalism was still, real journalism was still alive. 
But in Sudbury, it was back to making salads. It was the largest and probably the most unfriendly crowd on Trudeau's trip. Hundreds of angry people hurled insults, tomatoes, and eggs at the private car carrying Trudeau and his three sons. When the tomatoes and eggs ran out, they started throwing rock. For many, Trudeau's visit was a chance to vent their anger over the economy. But in Sudbury... See? Like, history repeating itself. <laughs> history repeating itself. Even back then, people were throwing eggs and tomatoes and rocks and what was the issue? The economy, of course. And here we go again. Here we go again. Here's, uh, this is back in July as well. At the Calgary Stampede. You know, and things got so bad, inflation, you know, the government under Pierre Trudeau took control of the economy to the to the level where everything you know they, they nationalized petrofina so they took control of part of the oil industry by nationalizing it which later became petro canada which then got you know sold off and after he was long gone it became part of sunoco and now petro canada Sunoco, Suncor, it's all connected, I believe, still. Uh, but there was so much inflation, he actually implemented wage and price controls, which caused all kinds of problems in the economy and made the inflation problem even worse back in the 1970s. His, uh, you know, his decision to try to impose government will on the supply on the, the laws of supply and demand. It doesn't work. But so many people seem to think that it does. But here's uh here's Justin at the Calgary Stampede. Same kind of problems. Everything, right it's carbon tax it's it's um what he's doing to the kids in the schools what he's trying to do to uh alberta like shut down all the oil all that stuff he's trying to weaken canada big time it's like terrible what he's doing he's a prick and do you put your faith in daniel smith i don't put my faith in anybody but you know if we can steer her the right way maybe we got a chance but at the same time air on caution air on caution He's wearing the wrong color hat. Do you have a job lined up for Miss Essie Lavalin? 
Yeah. So he's got problemos. He does. Yeah, but you know, it's not all doom and gloom. You know, Pierre Polyev making huge gains. I think he's saying all the right things. I'm optimistic. And I know people keep saying, there's no political solution. Well, I'm not so sure about that. Because what you have to, I think, realize too, is that even though we've had all these problems because Justin Trudeau has been in power for the past eight years, is what we're witnessing right now is democracy in action. I wouldn't say it's democracy at its best, but it is democracy in action, including all these protests. We do not live in a complete totalitarian state. I'm still able to sit here night after night and say that Justin Trudeau is the worst prime minister in Canadian history, and I don't go to jail. I'm allowed to do that. Nobody's knocked on my door yet to try to shut me down. Would have censorship issues, no question about that, as does every country. But um, that's technology-related as much as anything else. But I can still sit here and criticize the prime minister. And people are still allowed to protest in the streets, even though we're told, oh, they're not, are they arresting so-and-so for protesting? Well, that's not exactly true. Usually the people being arrested are arrested for some other offense where they've kind of maybe crossed a line or maybe they use it as an excuse to arrest people. But we are able to still protest. And I've just I just showed you many examples of that. And I think that's a positive thing. That's a good thing that people are able to do that. That is democracy in action. Democracy is about more than just going to the polls and voting every three or four years. It's about getting involved, becoming engaged. And that's what those people in the streets are doing right there. And they're right up in there in a very impassioned way, expressing their views and holding him accountable in the public eye and engaging in activity that showcases Trudeau in a in a very negative light to try to to, to sway political opinion away from him. That's what the protesters are doing. And it has been effective. Those protests, all that heckling, I don't particularly care for it, but I have to admit, I think it's been fairly effective in helping to bring his poll numbers down. That's democracy. That's democracy in action. That's what it's all about. So I I do still take exception to the people who... say that we don't really have democracy, that we don't really have the people who really don't have a voice. I think we do. You're seeing it right there. And even if a protest isn't 
on the surface, particularly effective, everything that's done still has an impact one way or another. And people are allowed to express themselves that way. So Trudeau's days are numbered. People who are frustrated and in their minds, I think, you know, or I think in some cases, in a lot of cases, people have been told and they believe that there's no chance that, that to change anything. And, and it feels like he's never going to go away, but he's going. It won't be too much longer now. What are we going to get instead? Polyev. And people say, oh, you see, it's the same thing, the same guy. But mm, I'm not so sure. I, I disagree. I, I, I honestly do. Give the guy a chance. It's going to be either him. It's going to be either Trudeau or Polyev in the next election. You can see that from the polling. And Polyev is riding high. I say, you know, give the guy a chance. I think he's, at this point, the only other chance we have. Jagmeet Singh will not be elected from the NDP. Give the guy a chance. If we don't, we'll be stuck with Trudeau. And Maxime Bernier, I just don't think he has, he does not have the numbers. He doesn't have the support for a PPC victory. And I'm not sure that the party is ready to govern anyway, because I'm not sure that the roster of candidates that they have put together or will finally put together for the next election will be strong enough to, um, to be worthy of endorsement by even myself, let alone the Canadian people. Will the candidates be of high caliber enough? Will you have a quality lineup of talent, political talent, to the point where they're competent enough to actually run the country? I'm not so sure. The conservatives can do it. I still have real concerns. I have to, to, to say that. Absolutely, I have serious concerns because of the way they voted during the pandemic and they're a lot of the members of parliament, their records on voting, but it's, we've seen a shift within the conservative party of Canada away from, you know, the, the more progressive side with the leadership of Aaron O'Toole and Andrew Scheer now back to a more conservative, to the more conservative side of the party, the true conservatives, more like Harper, And uh, opinions vary. I get it. But uh, I think our democracy, our country, we, we need to be careful not to throw it all away. Because I, I think it is still viable. It can be it can be brought back, not in quite the same way, because the demographics of the country have certainly changed of that. There is no doubt. That's why Trudeau was confronted during a Toronto area mosque visit. Just days ago. When he was, you know, um, there being pressured to call for an immediate ceasefire in the Middle East. And so. 
he was heckled during this visit to this mosque. Here, I'll bring it up. And there's been a real shift here. And this is also because of that million March for Children protest, the LGBTQ plus S um, issues, drag queen story time, where the liberals were enjoying a lot of support, have always traditionally enjoyed support from uh, the Muslim communities in Canada. Uh, that has changed. And we saw that during the Million March for Children, which brought out hundreds of thousands of people across the country, all of them protesting against Justin Trudeau, the liberal government and their policies. As I think, you know, their, their cultural social engineering uh, described by many as cultural Marxism. You know, those policies. But here he is at the mosque. Please engage in dialogue because dialogue is important, not yelling at each other. Please, please help us welcome the Royal Honorable Justin Trudeau. You're not respecting the guests more than anybody else. Not here to give a speech. I am not here to say anything except thank you. Thank you for taking this incredibly, incredibly difficult moment. Thank you for allowing me to say a few words, but thank you especially for allowing me to play alongside you in this difficult time, as I have many times before. And so, not. Uh... Not as popular with uh, the Muslim communities as he used to be. I'm going to take a quick break. Be right back. The New World Order Government Overreach The Great Reset Mainstream Media Lies Now more than ever, independent voices are needed 
Donate now at freedomreporters.com. That's freedomreporters.com. Maverick News. The antivirus program for your mind. You know, just in the last week, Pierre Polyev with the Conservative Party of Canada has made huge gains in popularity. And it's largely because of that. Uh, how do you like them apples video that he that he released where he. Really made. Um, a journalist who was asking him some. Questions about being right wing made the journalist uh, look pretty silly, really. So it's gone viral. He's received international attention because of it. Uh, Fox News running it, Greg Gutfeld, just all over the internet. And it's it's just, it's, it's, it's been a, a phenomenon. And there's, a, there's a, a smaller live streamer out there who has produced some, some pretty cool little videos from the original How Do You Like Them Apples video. Um, and they're pretty funny. And it's Red Pill North. And I thought we'd share a couple of those with you here tonight to give bring a little bit of levity and perspective at the same time. Okay, here we go. This is hilarious, actually. Great editing. Very witty. My fellow Canadians, I, your Prime Minister, Justin Trudeau, am here to save the day once again. What does that mean? It has come to my attention that Pierre Polyev has weaponized the fruits. Like what? Like the apple. Yes, you heard me right. He ate the apple and used its energy to spew hate and supremacy. What does that mean? Towards a dear friend. Like who? A CBC reporter. People always say that I stand up for my friends. Like which people would say that? People like my mom. Well, I will not stand for this. Starting tomorrow, I will ban all apples in Canada, including crab apples and all apple products. Canada has no place for hate and supremacy. Furthermore, tomorrow will be declared National No Hate Apple Day as your awesome leader. You're welcome, and God bless me. What are you also, talking about? <laughs> it's funny. It is funny. And then there's this one here. It says, Pierre Polyev was seen eating an apple as he questioned Justin Trudeau about his criticism of the Indian government. It says, this parody edit highlights Trudeau's change in attitude after his visit to India. It leaves one wondering... What transpired during his time there that led him to target India? Let's bring this one up. You should check this guy out. He's got some great videos. Red Pill North. The, the government of India took this week are themselves contrary to international law. What does that mean? The government of India decided to unilaterally 
revoke like what the diplomatic immunity of 40 Canadian diplomats in India like who this is a violation of the Vienna Convention like which people would say that it is something that all countries in the world should be like very worried about with the alleged killing of a Canadian citizen on Canadian soil that the Indian uh, government could have been involved in. What does that mean? This is something that has far-reaching consequences for the diplomatic world that I know many, many countries are very worried about. Like who? The Indian government is making it unbelievably difficult for life as usual to continue for millions of people in India and in Canada. What are you also, talking about? The Indian government. <laughs> you could just run this on a loop all day. That the government of India took this week. It's hilarious. It's, it is hilarious. It's good stuff. It's pretty good. What else is going on tonight? Well, Trump. He's been fined 10 grand. Because of, um, I guess, breaching a gag order in his uh, fraud trial. So Trump and his sons, Eric and Don Jr. and Trump Organization executives are accused by uh, New York Attorney General Letitia James of engaging in a decade-long scheme. Again, I put my fingers up in the air and do the quotation thing which they used, in which they used, and again, this is quotation marks up in the air, numerous acts of fraud and misrepresentation to inflate Trump's net worth in order to get more favorable loan terms. So following the adjournment of his court for the day, Trump and New York Attorney General Letitia James offered contrasting views of the testimony of former Trump lawyer Michael Cohen Trump spoke to reporters in a courthouse hallway and continued to claim that today was his Perry Mason moment. He said he was caught lying like no one has ever lied. That's what he said about Cohen. And he said, Trump went on and said, it was better than a Perry Mason moment. And that should be the end of the case. The former president also criticized Judge and Gorin for not ending the trial following Cohen's testimony claiming he is being railroaded. So we continue to follow it, but um, yeah, $10,000 fine. And Mark Meadows, who used to be part of the Trump administration, it's being reported tonight that he is cooperating with the other side the other side, the government side, against Trump. Anyway, um, but Trump doesn't seem to be too worried about Meadows. He doesn't. Uh, he doesn't think he's going to have a problem. Anyway, it, all this legal stuff with him, it just goes on and on and on. It's hard to, for me to even keep all the cases straight now. 
they all seem to blend together. It's just constant litigation, constant lawfare. I think really that is, that's what it's all about, really. And now, you know, back to just politics in general with Trump. He's, um, he's advocating for car choice. And this, of course, has everything to do with the electrification of the auto industry. He says he's touting car choice in his bid to revitalize the struggling auto industry. And that's from Right Side Broadcasting. Amidst the ongoing auto worker strike, President Trump made a promise to the auto industry that electing him would result in triple jobs and a revived auto industry. Trump has promised auto workers in America job security as well as the freedom for citizens to have a choice in their cars and trucks. So over on Truth Social, he has written, the United Auto Workers have no choice. They are not being told the truth by their union leaders. The auto industry is dead if they don't vote for Trump. And there it is. There's the post. It says the United Auto Workers have no choice. They are being not being told by the, the truth by their union heads. The auto industry is dead. If they don't vote for Trump, I will triple their jobs within two years, immediately authorizing choice of propulsion in all cars and trucks. Car choice. And it goes on. So he wants people to have the choice. Let the market decide. Let people vote with their dollars. If they want electric cars, go get them. If they want gasoline-powered vehicles, leave them on the market for as long as there is consumer demand for them. Personally, I agree. I agree with that. But that's me. Um, Mike Johnson has been elected 56th Speaker of the House, so they now finally have a house speaker and i know a lot of you including me are kind of sitting back saying mike who he's been in the background this is not a high profile guy he's from louisiana he's now second in line to the presidency and this brings to an end a three-week well, I guess you could call it a civil war of sorts or um, ongoing dispute in the House that it really paralyzed all the operations there in the House. And it's I think this is pretty unexpected. You see, you have this rise of this guy to this position of real prominence, Mike Johnson, seemingly from out of nowhere. And he is a Trump ally and is very conservative in his views. One of the most conservative speakers in American history, actually. So that's an important development tonight as well. What else do I have for you this evening? Oh, yes. Back to Trudeau. Oh, as we know, he split up with his wife, Sophie. But she's not lonely, not like Justin, who's still 
out there looking for a date, um, Sophie has a new main squeeze. As reported just hours ago, Sophie Gregoire Trudeau is coming out tonight. She has repartnered with an Ottawa doctor, a pediatrician. This according to a claim in a divorce petition from the doctor's ex-wife. He's a surgeon. says the surgeon's ex-wife cited discomfort and security concerns over the new relationship months before announcement of the Trudeau separation. Oh. So there's some history here. Uh-huh. Well, more information comes out. You know, this is sort of very personal stuff, but he's such a public figure, and so is she. At least she was, maybe less so now. But this uh, doctor's name is Dr. Marcos Bitoli, and he has repartnered, according to this information in the court documents, with a high-profile individual who attracts significant media attention and presents significant security considerations. That individual is not identified by name in the court documents, but it has been confirmed that Ramonda's claim refers to Gregoire Trudeau, and Ramonda is the woman, the ex-wife, I guess. So this is the National Post version of the story. Expect to hear a lot more about that. to see a lot more of that and you know as much as we're seeing democracy in action Canada has been suffering and I, I think in many respects the uh, the country is on an on edge it absolutely is it's in many ways almost coming apart at the seams and that's largely because of the lack of true leadership that we have in the prime minister's office and most recently it's because of that embarrassing moment where we had a lot of very uneducated unaware and downright stupid members of parliament clapping like trained seals without thinking i think about what they were actually doing and you can argue it either way, any way you want, but I think that's more accurate. I think some of the key players were aware of who Yaroslav Hunka was, but the vast majority of people, I think out of laziness and ignorance, were not really paying attention to what the heck they were actually doing when that guy stood up in the House of Commons and they all went there and were like, oh, 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 and applauded. The country's been, you know, severely damaged in so many ways. But when I go out and I meet the people every day, that's not what Canada is. It really truly isn't. And I, I see so many people working to tear the country down. 
in a variety of ways. And every cut that is made with this saber of acid it's it uh, it strikes a, a, you know another existential blow to i think one of the the countries in the world that really still can offer hope and freedom to the rest of the world we're being tested right now have been especially over the past 3 years and people have lost so much faith, you know. We should be so careful about letting what remains of it slip away because I think there is still opportunity to get it back. And it, not exactly the same way that we had it before because the country has changed so much, especially over the past like 10 years. It's true. I don't recognize Canada anymore, but that isn't to say that the country can't be great again. No, Canada is not a Nazi nation. It's not, not even close. We have everything here. And because we have everything, it's really easy to get focused on negative things, because that's all there too. We have both sides of every coin in this country. We have, honestly, people who are from Hamas. And we have a large Jewish community. We have conservatives and communists. We have Muslims and Christians. We have Ukrainians and Russians, we have everything. In a lot of ways, I think it's made our country a little bit dysfunctional because we're still going through this huge experiment, which in many respects seems to be failing at the moment. But I don't know. People, we find a way to come together. Out in the streets, when I'm at the store, I don't see the conflict and the turmoil that's on display politically at these rallies, demonstrations. For the most part, people go about their day-to-day -day business and uh, we all get along. That's the vast, vast, vast majority of people. Now, if you want to focus on negativity, it's pretty easy to do that because it's all there, but so is a lot of positive stuff, you know, a lot of positive things. And yeah, I mean, you can focus on Yaroslav Hunka, or you can focus on that boat of Jewish refugees who came here and were turned away by the Canadian government, but they were turned away by other governments too back in that day. We talked about that the other night. That's why it's just top of mind for me. But that's not the whole story. You know, it really isn't. Canada's done a lot of good things for Jewish people, too. 
You know, there's this lesser known but significant chapter in Canadian history, how Canada played a crucial role in assisting Jewish people after World War II. This period, marked by post-war reconstruction, for instance, and the aftermath of the Holocaust, presented Canada with an opportunity to demonstrate compassion and humanitarianism. There was immigration and resettlement. Canada's involvement in assisting Jewish people after World War II primarily revolved around immigration and resettlement efforts. In 1947, Canada adopted the Displaced Persons Act, which facilitated the entry of displaced individuals, including Jewish survivors, into the country. This move marked a substantial shift in Canadian immigration policy, which had previously been very restrictive. But you have to also remember that immigration policies around the world and virtually every country were very restrictive prior to World War II. And that's because we were going through the Great Depression and most governments of the day saw immigration as a threat to their economic stability, that immigrants coming in would be a burden on the economy, not an asset. That was how governments all over the world viewed immigration at that time. And anti-Semitism was much more prominent globally at that time. And it was certainly present in Canada. It was present in the United States. It was present in every country around the world. It was alive and well prior to World War II, prior to the rise of Hitler. And you can find it in all kinds of countries. But Canada, we have a good track record in, in many areas, Canadians are caring people. I believe in the people. Canada actively collaborated with the War Refugee Board, an agency established by the United States in 1944 to aid victims of the Holocaust. Canadian diplomats, notably Raymond Arthur Davies, worked closely with the WRB to rescue Jewish refugees and arrange their resettlement in Canada. Through those efforts, Canada saved thousands of lives. And also remember that, you know, when those prior to World War II, the what was really going on with the Nazis and Germany and the Jewish people? And the final solution, it wasn't really understood at the time by people around the world. And that was because a lot of those activities were hidden from public view. And the Nazis didn't come right out and tell people what they were doing. They were using word games to cloak what they were doing calling things the final solution without people really understanding what that meant at the time. But again, so much positive stuff happened after the war. <clears throat> and let us not forget, lest we forget how many Canadian and U.S. soldiers gave their lives. during World War II to fight fascism, Nazism. 
One remarkable initiative that showcased Canada's commitment to assisting Jewish survivors was the Taylor Project, launched in 1947. This project aimed to train Jewish survivors in tailoring and garment making. The project not only provided practical skills, but also allowed survivors to contribute to the Canadian workforce. And there was integration into Canadian society. Canada's support for Jewish survivors extended beyond immigration and resettlement. The government, along with local Jewish communities, played an essential role in assisting survivors and adapting to Canadian society. This assistance included language classes, job placement services, and housing support. And there was the role of Jewish organizations in Canada, which also played a pivotal role in aiding Jewish survivors. The Canadian Jewish Congress, for instance, played an active role in advocating for the admission of Jewish displaced persons and ensuring their successful integration. There was legacy and recognition. Canada's commitment to assisting Jewish survivors has left a lasting legacy. In 2010, the Canadian government formally apologized for turning away that ship, the MS St. Louis, a ship carrying Jewish refugees in 1939. This apology served as a powerful acknowledgement of past mistakes and a reminder of the importance of compassion and open immigration policies. And even Max Bernier with the PPC, well, yeah, he wants less immigration. It doesn't mean he wants to turn immigration off. I think we should be more careful with our immigration, but it doesn't mean we stop it. And there were challenges, and we have learned lessons. And while Canada's assistance to Jewish survivors is, I think, in many respects, commendable, it is essential to acknowledge that it was not without challenges. Issues such as limited immigration quotas and societal prejudices persisted. However, these challenges highlight the importance of learning from history and working towards more inclusive, I guess, and humanitarian policies within reason and in ways that benefit all who live here, including those who are arriving here. So is it in the best interests of all involved, including the new arrivals? But you know, in the end, Canada's role in assisting Jewish people after World War II was a testament to the nation's commitment to humanitarian values and its willingness to adapt immigration policies in the face of human suffering. We have a long history of that since World War II. It's a big part of what Canada has been. When people are in need around the world, and the United States does this too, when people are in need, the people step up. If there's an earthquake, we send aid. Canadians, Americans. If there's a hurricane, a flood, if there's a disaster, the people step up. Now, I can't say that I'm a big fan of the current government, not in Canada and not in the United States. I am not. I don't like their foreign policies. I don't like their record on this war in Ukraine. I don't like uh, their policies that have led to a lot of death and degrowth. I'm not happy about any of that, but I still have faith in the country. I still have faith in you, you, all of us, the people. It still comes down to us. 
we make the difference in the end. We really do. We really, really do. Politicians come, politicians go. Government legislation can be changed. Everything can be changed. Things did change. Justin Trudeau was elected. But his days are numbered, folks. You can see it. Just read the tea leaves. Look at the polls. He's on his way out. Won't be soon enough for most of us, but it's going to happen. It's going to happen. The winds of change are blowing. And it's not just because people out in Alberta faced a temperatures of minus 17 degrees today in some areas. Well, here it was actually very nice outside where I am. I'm much further south, close to our American friends in Detroit. And that's why I'll tell you it was about 60, probably 65 degrees Fahrenheit today. It was quite nice outside, maybe even closer to 70. Gorgeous day. But winter's coming. The winds of change are blowing, not just in the weather, but politically as well. Now, I am going to wrap up early tonight because I have a lot of other stuff to get caught up on. Um, new promos, uh, the, some house repairs to do here, too, that I need to get caught up on, which is always difficult to stay on top of because putting this show together every night is honestly a full-time job plus in itself. And then all the other stuff that I have to do too. That's why I've, I wasn't on last night, short broadcast tonight, maybe another short one. I'll tell you too, you're definitely going to want to be around on Saturday in the afternoon, 1 PM. Um, along with Kevin Michalizzi, American and Crimea and the Maverick news network. We are going to present not just a discussion on the Israel-Hamas war, but those two guests that we had on Lori's program, Strange Bedfellows, this past weekend, we're going to have a full-fledged debate. A knock-down, drag-em-out, no-holds-barred political debate on the Israel-Hamas question. Saturday afternoon, special broadcast, 1 p.m., I believe, is Eastern time, is the time for that Special broadcast right here on the Maverick News Network. Now, you can support the work that we're doing here by donating at freedomreporters.com. By doing that, you are supporting free speech and you're giving yourself a voice as well. Because when you donate, that helps us cover the bills. That helps us with the phone system, helps us with the subscriptions and the software and the streaming services, and all the other fees and costs associated with running this operation, which are more substantial than you might realize. So freedomreporters.com is where you can donate to support the show. You can also uh, donate at maverickdonations.com. Thank you, everybody, for 
you know, donating in the past. And one of the things I do need to get caught up on is uh, thank you letters or emails back to people who have messaged, people who may have donated. Um, so if you haven't received a response to me from messages that you've sent, bear with me. I'm trying to get back on top of stuff. There's just a whole lot of stuff to do around here. And that's just one more thing I'm trying to get caught up on. Um, please like, share, subscribe. Make sure that you hit the notification bell if you're watching on YouTube. Um, that makes sure that uh, you receive notifications so you don't miss any of our future videos. We're on our second backup channel over there tonight. The other main channels are now running on YouTube still because of censorship issues, but we'll be back online soon with them. We are running on Rumble. As always, please consider subscribing on those Rumble channels, which is extremely important to us, and you can also donate to the program through the Rumble Rants over there. So with that, I shall bid you adieu. I will be back tomorrow night, 6 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Thank you, Maverick family, um, for joining me here again on the program tonight. I will catch you all tomorrow on the flip side. This has been a Maverick Multimedia Productions.